The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. 2007 was a different time. Um, set in the middle of the Celtic Tiger, a new book called Service investigates power dynamics, the Me Too movement and events as viewed by three different perspectives. And the author of Service is Sarah Gilmartin, who joins me in the studio. Good morning and welcome. Morning, Pat. Um, this is a kind of a, a book in two parts in the sense of time, because mm-hmm. it's Celtic Tiger in terms of the action and then, I suppose, post-Celtic Tiger remorse. Uh, yeah, so there's two timelines. It's actually set in 2007 during the Celtic Tiger and then about 10 years apart. So just before uh, the Me Too movement started to get underway. So it, it, it's already kind of happening in America, but it hasn't hugely filtered down um, over here yet. Uh, so those two scenarios, um, those two time periods interested me. Yeah. Now, um, the, the the setting initially is in a restaurant. Mm mm-hmm. um, you wrote the dinner party, which uh, we talked about <laughs> on this program, and that's about food and the restaurant is all about food and service of food and so on. For sure. And I presumed that you have an um, absolute preoccupation with food. Uh, no, not at all. Um, and I said it to a journalist in the Irish Independent last week as well, that uh, I, I really can't cook very well. I mean, I can throw a couple of things in the oven um, as well as the next person, but that's about the level. So how do you cooking. write about the dynamics in a restaurant mm-hmm. and all the food that's prepared and what chefs do and so on if you're not a foodie? So I worked for many years um, as a waitress in the restaurant, um, in, in a number of different restaurants, never in Ireland, uh, predominantly in America. So, so you I, don't have to put any resemblance to chefs living or dead. Absolutely, entirely. Not, absolutely not. What happens in the book is fictional. But I think there's a timelessness and a generality, or I hope there is, that will kind of resonate with readers. So the world of the restaurant for me was very interesting. Um, It was very colourful, entertaining, uh, very fast paced and frenetic as well. So it's kind of a world that I thought readers might be interested in. And I guess service, part of it is um, a behind the scenes feel about what goes on in the restaurant. And you had that yourself? Yeah, completely. So the good times, the bad times. I mean, my own experiences were largely positive, bar the odd run in with the temperamental chef effort to. Yeah. Um, but you see things and you hear things. I mean, you glean things. Uh, you learn things uh, from people that you work with. Uh, the people you work with, because it's such an intense environment, end up kind of being like family to you. Yeah. And actually, that's what they call staff meal over in America. They call it family. So you do, you hear a lot of stories. And um, it struck me when I had, when I was reading so much about Me Too in the papers, um, that the world of hospitality lent itself really well to, to abuse. To abuse, yeah, because you have you have a certain ingrained sense of hierarchy and power dynamics really established almost like a military level. Um, you also have, you know, fairly poor paying conditions, sometimes depending mm. on the restaurant, um, a very transient nature of the work and also, um, you know, a lack of procedures or HR procedures that you would get, say, in a bigger organisation. So all of those things combined, um, you know, they're interesting, that lack of accountability, what it lends itself to. You know the way they say that you'd say things to family members that you'd never say to a stranger. You Mm -hmm, know, you mm -hmm. can be very hard and cruel (laughs) to the people uh, that you love. But of course, you uh, kiss and make up and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, what happens in restaurants, it seems, could not happen in to the same extent anyway, in an ordinary office. No. Um, And I mean, I have a line in the book, I think, uh, you know, 
restaurants literally get set and reset every night. Sometimes they get set and reset over the course of one sitting. Um, so it's like a show in that way. It has the buzz of live performance. Um, and that means, you know, things can, can happen. Things can get swept under the table. And at the end you say, well, we got through that. Yeah, we got through it. And, you know, there's a camaraderie in that too. There's a lot of fun in it. Uh, but then there's also kind of a darker element to it as well. Yeah. Or there can be. Now, now, in your uh, experience, and obviously it combines into your um, your fiction as well, the, the chef as God, you know, the way in mm-hmm. hospitals they say consultant yeah. is God. That is that the way it is really in restaurants? Because it's all about the food for the customer. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the chef is, if you like, the key person. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the chef, that has to be said. Um, but certainly the chef in service, Daniel Costello, uh, he has been in service for years since he was 16. He's really made a name for himself. Um, you know, he's awarded. Garlanded. And he's the reason the customers are going to that restaurant. Absolutely. You know, they've uh, heard about him. Yeah, he's the name. And he, that gives him obviously a lot of power. Um, and, you know, in a way you can understand where egos come from in that line of work, because if mistakes are made, you know, the the onus is all on the chef. You know, sure. they get blamed. Um, so they're really in charge of it all. But I wanted to tell service from three perspectives. So one of the perspectives is from Daniel and I wanted to kind of get inside his head. And he was an interesting character to yeah. write because he's in his I, late 50s. I mean, the, the, the three characters, the wife, um, mm-hmm. Daniel and Hannah, the, the, the waitress. The waitress. Yeah. Uh, and the, the book is divided segmentally like that into their different experiences and perspectives. Yeah. And I mean, structurally, as a writer, it gave me the opportunity to, you know, jump between perspectives and that can add a lot of suspense to a story. You know, you kind of leave readers on a hook at the end of a chapter and then move into somebody else's perspective. Um, But the three, I wanted three different perspectives for the story about the abuse of power to give it a kind of level of nuance or understanding, maybe a deeper understanding. So Hannah is the one who takes us through the restaurant back in 2007 in the Celtic Tiger. Um, So we see the world through her eyes, that kind of fun. Daniel, we've talked about a little bit already. And then the third perspective is Julie. Um, And it struck me when I was reading um, a lot of the stuff about Me Too, that the perspective you rarely hear from is that of the partner of the abuser or the wife. So that for me as a writer was interesting. Yeah, the the, the question of people even being conscious, um, the Me Too movement brought it to the forefront of consciousness, mm-hmm. but that they were being abused. You know, the way this is the way things are. Mm-hmm. This is what happens. Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of awareness or more awareness about power dynamics um, ever since Me Too. I mean, Me Too started roughly in 2006, but came to be what we know it to be today in 2017 with The New Yorker and New York Times reporting on Harvey Weinstein. And since then, uh, there's more of an an awareness about power dynamics, how those dynamics can be abused. And there's more of a platform for women to speak out. And I think there's been a real and necessary shift in the way that we as a society listen to women. But the law has been slower to change and a lot more needs to be done in terms of the law to support victims. Mm. Now, when you have the the world as viewed through three different perspectives, um, you really have three, if the characters are honest to themselves, you get three versions of the truth. There was a, Mm -hmm. a, was it a Japanese movie called Rashomon where all all the characters tell the, the same story, but each have completely different versions of what actually happened and each kind of believes oh 100% what they saw happened yeah. happened the way they saw it it cannot you know there's a truth in there somewhere yeah and for me it was very much about trying to let the reader to figure that out themselves so I don't like really stories that you know tell you this is what you think um, so that's why I wanted to give the multiple perspectives but also there's that old line of you know no one's a villain in their own head um, so you really do have to kind of tap into the voice or tap into um, what's going on for the individual characters in order to bring a book to life 
Yeah. Um, the the uh, the book then, we can't say too much about it. <laughs> it's a hard one to talk about uh, without, yeah, well, spoilers, without giving yeah. away uh, key plot lines, which uh, we, we don't want to do. Um, looking back on that uh, end of Celtic Tiger time that you experienced, mm-hmm. and you were a business journalist at the, at the time. Yep. Um, what did you make of it at the time? I mean, I've, I've said to you just before we came on that, I've, I look back on that period and I'm glad that Ireland at some point felt rich for a little <laughs> while. You know, it didn't last long. Yeah, and I, actually as a journalist, I was just out of college. It was basically my first job. So I feel like I got the tail end of it. Um, and then it was also went on to be very interesting, uh, you know, from a kind of a... The post-mortem of the, post-mortem the Celtic of it Tiger. And the crash, uh, working as a business journalist. But the Celtic Tiger, from my own experience, I felt it was a time of great... It was a time of great fun and opportunity. There was a sense of possibility when I came out of college. And there was a sense of easy money, easy deals, you know, quick money. But also looking back, it wasn't a very safe place to do business. And, you know, collectively, we've all been paying for that as a country for the last 15 or 16 years. Yeah, and none of us perhaps could even see what was going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I got into terrible trouble uh, one time during the Celtic Tiger boom when I saw an ad for what I described as a hovel in Ballybock and it was 400,000 euro Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I said this is madness and I was excoriated for suggesting that there could be a hovel in Ballybock Mm -hmm. never mind the price of it yeah so you know a a few straws in the wind were evident at the time yeah people were paying just too much money for too little value yeah and I mean I think it's obviously easy in retrospect or in hindsight to talk about these things but at the time you know no one bar a few uh, voices that people weren't listening to um, economics wise no one really knew what was coming okay it's a, a terrific book, absolutely terrific. Uh, your next book, obviously, food production <laughs> on the farm. Absolutely <laughs> no food. Uh, for third novel, is going to be something entirely different. All right. Um, th- this movie, is, uh, this book is made for movie. I like that, Pat. Yeah. No, it, it just is is just made. I think for <laughs> for for the movies. By the way, one last question. You know, we see uh, Gordon Ramsay and you know in mm-hmm. some of his kitchen adventures. Is it as foul-mouthed as Gordon would have us believe on the telly? Again, it depends on the chef. I've worked in different restaurants where it's been fine. But in that heat of the moment when dishes are flying and mistakes are happening and people need to be fed, there can be a lot of um, there can be a lot of interesting times. Interesting times indeed. Well, uh, the book is called Service. It's uh, available in all good bookshops and it is it's, uh, I don't see the price on it, but it's <laughs> everywhere, available everywhere. It's written by Sarah Gilmartin. Sarah, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.